Welcome to Season 3 of Between Two Blue Devils, a podcast about the amazing educators, students, alumni, and citizens of beautiful Talmadge, Ohio. This season is going to be the best season yet as we sit down with people who have incredible stories to share and who are having an impact on our kids, in our community, and in our world. Now be sure to subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you listen to your podcasts on. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and give the podcast a rating. This is how we get the message out about our amazing schools and community. Now, crank up the volume, grab some coffee, kick up your feet, and get ready to be wowed as Season 3 begins. Mr. Swindell, I want to welcome you to Between Two Blue Devils. I am extremely excited that you are here, and I know that I just confused the entire audience because I said, hello, Mr. Swindell, and they're already thinking to themselves, wait a second, Mr. Swindell's been on there already. But in fact, we have two Swindells. We do. Yes. Two very unique Swindells. We do have two unique Swindells, although I think the novelty has maybe worn off a little bit since I first started walking around here. So I think it's just that, Swindell or Swindell, and we both just answer to Swindell, so, yeah, so. <laughs> well, why don't you take a moment and introduce who you are. Sure. Which Swindell are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the older Swindell. My name is Jeff Swindell, and uh, I have been here all of this year, a little bit of last year. I made a career move, which we'll probably talk about a little bit, and uh, while I was deciding what I wanted to do, I thought, ah, I'll go sub, how hard can that be? And boy, did I learn quickly that uh, it's, uh, there's more to it than just showing up if you want to do it right. But uh, this year was fantastic because um, I actually started the year as Mr. Horner's um, sub because he was out for a couple of weeks to start the year. And then I just never left. I just never left. I started at the end of August and we're now in May and I've been here the whole year. So it's been, it's been quite an awesome year. So you are what we like to call a super sub. Uh, because you have this reputation, and we have talked amongst ourselves as, as a, a department and as a staff, that you probably have the best attendance of every person employed at Tomich High School at least. You have been here, I think, almost every single day with the exception of today. Pretty close. There's been a couple of days. But yeah, I'll put my attendance record up against anybody's absolutely this school year. Yes. <laughs> So I'm very much intrigued and I, and um, by the story of how it is that you became a substitute. Sure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your original path in life? You know, where did you go to high school? Where did you go to college? What did you set off on? Sure. So I um, am a local kid. I grew up in Suffield. I went to Field High School, class of 1984. Yes, if you do that math, it's a long time ago. Um, I... Uh, Typical kid grew up in the, you know, most people are like they're a child of the 70s or a child of the 80s. They pick their decade. But I was born in 1965, so my formative years were really the mid-70s. So like 74 to 84 was my sweet spot. So I'm really kind of, you know, early 70s or mid-70s to mid-80s. And uh, I always liked writing. I was one of those kids that enjoyed creative writing. I was always told I was good at that. And uh, at one point, I decided, well... I'm a good writer, I'll probably just go into newspapers or something like that, be a newspaper writer. Um, so I kind of went down that path 
although as I write about in this, which we'll talk about, I never really had a passion for it. It's like, well, I don't really have, I don't know what I want to do, so I guess I'll go do that. So graduated from high school, I went to Kent State, and uh, I was a journalism major for a while. And uh, through some various circumstances, I changed my major to public relations, and I actually got a degree in public relations. Now, I've never worked a single day in a job that has public relations in its title. I did get my degree, but I just kind of, I worked, and you guys will be, this will be foreign to you, but in college, I worked at a video store. I was a manager of a video store. All right, I know, I was like, really? Yeah, video store, VHS tapes, all of that stuff. <laughs> and uh, I did that. That transitioned after I graduated from college with that degree in public relations. I ended up working for Blockbuster. So I don't know if you guys have the big yellow ticket, probably Blockbuster, yeah, it's like ancient history now, but it was a big deal. So I worked for Blockbuster from 1992 to 1999, right, in its heyday. And I was a manager, then I was a regional manager, and it was a fun job, but as you get into life and you get married and you start having kids, you realize at some point I realized I have 25 stores and I'm working 80 hours a week. Hmm. So again, I think, okay, I gotta reinvent myself here. So I always liked the training piece. I like facilitating. So I found an opportunity at a bank. And again, now the joke is I'm the Swindell that doesn't like math, because I don't, but I love numbers, if that makes sense. I don't put letters into my numbers. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem with math for me. But I like numbers. I was always good at numbers and budgets and spreadsheets. So I ended up in banking for about 20 years. And um, it was a good career, had a lot of cool titles, saw a lot of good things. But for me, as I was doing this job, um, it got harder and harder to do because I didn't have a passion for it. And as you get older, when you have mental stress, it exhibits itself physically in a lot of cases. And I, I went through a really rough patch to where I had to decide, am I gonna keep doing this? So about four years ago, um, I bottomed out. And we'll just be honest here, I bottomed out. I had a really rough time. I bottomed out and I had to walk away. I just said, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And uh, that's kind of where, as my wife and my kids and my family and friends, they're like, we gotta get you back. You know, you're, you're just, you're a shell of yourself. Um, the career was, there were moments where it was great. I, I mean, I, there was things in it that were very rewarding. But as I got into my 50s, it was apparent I had to make a change. So I really decided, um, this was about 2018, 2018, when I hit bottom, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I'm old, but I'm not that old. And I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll substitute for a while. I'll drink inside. I said, ah, that looks easy. I just got, I want to go substitute. I'm going to go do that until I figure out what I want to do. So I went to this job fair, and I applied to be a substitute teacher, and I started subbing in Akron, and then I started expanding a little bit. And then at a certain point, the Mr. Swindoll upstairs was like, hey, why don't you come to Talmadge? You know, so I kind of put my toe in the water, and... Last year, I still bounced around a lot. I um, worked here, but I also worked a lot of other schools. And then this year, as we, we talked, it just kind of happened that I showed up in August and I haven't left, which was it's been, it's been cool. 
Um, I've also now, I am a job coach. I work for an organization called Creative Rehab. I'm a job coach and a job developer where I'm working with um, high school kids, but also some young adults. Some of them have um, learning disabilities. Uh, some have physical um, um, disabilities as well. And it's really working with them, helping them find jobs, helping them once they have a job, working as a job coach with them. Uh, I'm doing a lot of job development right now where I'm taking um, uh, again, some high school students, some, some younger adults, and helping them create resumes, helping them um, interview, interviewing skills, things like that. Things that I did in my corporate life. You know, I hired lots of people, I interviewed lots of people, but to be able to take those skills now and do them with a totally different audience, it's, it's, it's pretty rewarding, you know. Things we take for granted, you know, things that come easy for you guys it's very rewarding to see, you know, a young person that really struggles with something and seeing that moment where they're like, I can do this, you know, I can do this. And I think right now, as, the, as this school year ends, I've committed to them. I'm going to work full time this summer with them and kind of see where it goes. Now, it would be hard to leave here and maybe I'll figure out how to do them both. But that's kind of where I feel like I'm being led right now. So that's kind of a quick, quick snapshot of Swindell, you know, in 2022 and how we got here. So you mentioned a moment ago that about four years ago you, you bottomed out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you hear that phrase that you bottomed out, it, it goes a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. Could you add a little bit of, of clarity to, yeah, to of what course. you mean by that? Um, so as I look at you guys now, and you guys are, this is all seniors, right? Everybody's juniors seniors. and seniors. Juniors and seniors. Yeah. So you're either getting ready to graduate or you're pretty darn close. Um, when I look back, there were things that I didn't address when I was your guy's age, you know. I have been diagnosed with certain things, like I have OCD, you know. I have depression. I have all these things that back when I was your age, one, we were ignorant to it in a lot of cases. We didn't talk about it. We didn't know about it. Um, and it just went un unnoticed. I, I created, and it's in the book, I became the chameleon. You guys know what a chameleon is? You kind of adapt to your surroundings. I continually could adapt. I could, you know, be the funny guy and the happy guy, and I could evolve and adapt into whatever I needed to do, whether it be, you know, in retail or in banking. You know, I was a guy with no banking experience, but I continued to evolve and create this character almost, and all things on the surface look great, you know? But what I wasn't dealing with was a lot of the emotional turmoil that I had because one, I always felt lost. I always felt like I didn't belong or like I was fooling people. Um, and, and you know, it, it's maybe hard to verbalize that as well as I should, but I always just felt like I was a fraud because I was, and I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> your brain is not always your best friend, right? It doesn't always have your best yeah. interests at heart. And it took a lot of therapy Yes, again, full disclosure, a lot of therapy to get to a point where I could talk about it and I could understand it. You know, you got to name it to tame it. And that's really where I was able to learn a lot about myself and to be honest with myself, you know. And family history is, it's, it's, a, it's a thing sometimes that it's great, but there's also, you know, as, as I learned, there's a lot of stuff in my family background, you know, with depression and things like that. And it all kind of came full circle. But for me, I didn't address it for years. You know, I just let it go and I just plowed ahead. And I, again, on the surface, and, and believe me, 
there were great times, you know. I have an amazing family, amazing kids, amazing friends. There were a lot of good times, a lot of great times, but always that shadow was there, and I wasn't sure, um, I, I really wasn't sure when it would rear its head. And by 2018, I had left the bank, and I had decided I was going to be a financial advisor, which on the surface is so ridiculous. I left something that I wasn't happy in to go into another thing that's basically the same industry. And on the surface, even I can look back and go, what is wrong with you? And my family and friends, they knew it. They knew it was a disaster waiting to happen. And I just bought them. You know, I really, I, I had a breakdown, and I needed to get some help. And I came out of that four-month, it was about a four-month process where I came out, I did a lot of therapy, I did a lot of group stuff, and I was able to come out, you know, really clear-headed. And believe me. I'm still, I still have moments. I mean, you just don't wash your hands of it and you're mm. perfect, but I understand it now and I can deal with it better. Um, so I guess as I look at you young people, you know, just don't be afraid of appearing weak or whatever it is, whatever you want to put under it, if you don't feel good a lot of the time, you know? And I think this culture, you know, I think it's more open than it used to be. I think, you know, but you still have to be the one to say, you know, I got a problem and I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I did because at a certain point your body and my, it, it just stopped. I mean, it just stopped and I write about it in the book. I mean, it just, it just stopped and I ended up crumpled on the floor. I was in the floor and, you know, then I'm in a place that I can't believe I was in. But I had to go. That, that, that had to happen because I spent so many years just pushing, pushing it aside. Yeah. So, so you uh, mentioned it a couple of times, and I think I would just jump straight to it because I think the rest of our conversation will stem about things coming from this uh, beautifully written book because I, I've enjoyed it, and um, there's a lot that I connect with in, in your book. But why write a book? I mean, what, what, what's your why behind putting pen to paper here. Well, it's interesting because I knew I wanted to write a book. It goes all the way back to when I was a kid. I said, you know, people were like, ah, oh, you're a good writer. You know, you got, and I, I still have all these stories from when I was like in first and second grade. My mom like kept all this stuff. And um, I would, I, I started going back and looking at it and then smiling and like, I think I can do this. But originally it was just going to be a book about music because I'm, I'm a total, going back to that 70s, 80s thing, I'm a total, um, just, I absorbed music and I have no music talent I, it's one of those weird things I have no I can't sing I, I tried instruments but I just love music so well for, for the record not to interrupt you but right now who's the bigger music fan you or your brother your younger brother <laughs> the one that I think we uh, affectionately call armpit yeah that was one of them <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great <laughs> um, we uh, so when you when I, I, I was thinking about um, the, the, the music piece and who's the bigger, uh, I will say this. He has more motivation at this point in his life to go out with his little buddy, Mr. Ganaba, and go to concerts <laughs> and things like that. I still go to some concerts, but um, all I will say is whatever he likes, I'm the big brother. He got it from me. For better or worse, he got it from, <laughs> he got it from me. Um, but when I decided I was going to write the book, Initially, it was going to be a music book, and I was originally going to call it Turn It Down, Dad, because that was one of the things in the house. I was 
the role reversal where my kids would be like, Dad, turn it down. It's too loud because my music room's in the basement. Um, that ended up being a chapter in the book. But then, um, then I, as, as I'm like, that'll be fun. I, I want to reminisce about not just music in the 70s and 80s, but kind of create a picture of what it was like to grow up in that era. You know, when television was three channels and your remote was the person next to the TV. You know? mm -hmm. And if you missed a show, you missed the show. You couldn't record it. You couldn't stream it. You couldn't do any of these things. It's funny. Um, when, I, when I read that part, I had flashbacks of me sitting in front of our TV in a beanbag laying Absolutely. there and then my dad would be like change the channel so I had to get up and click it from three to five and then I'd hear all right change it back and so it was just non-stop you know getting up that's and getting the up. remote yep I was, that the, was remote. the remote yeah um, so I wanted to paint that picture and I, I, I felt like I had a pretty good idea of how to to do that to how to capture you know what it was like to grow up in that time and the innocence of it and you know um, and then the music piece and the evolution for me of going from the kid that listened to, you know, just was, what was ever on the radio until this moment in sixth grade music class where this band that changed my life I was exposed to, this band called Kiss. And that's 1977. So like it, hate it, whatever, you know, they're still here. You know, 1977. And, and what that did to me, it was just one of those things, it's that moment, um, and I write about it, I remember every vivid moment of that. The kid that brought the record in was actually somebody I didn't like. We had constant battles, his name's Eddie. Um, and he brought this album in, and I give, you talk about teachers making an impact. We had, this is sixth grade, and my, um, my sixth grade music teacher, Mrs. Klink, she was an older lady, and, you know, she fit every stereotype of what, like, a stodgy old teacher would look like. Yeah, she was the coolest lady ever. She let us bring music in. And, you know, she let this kid bring this Kiss record in, and we played a song. We had this time at the end of our classes where she'd let us play our music. And she let him play the song. It was called Calling Dr. Love. And the second I heard it, it was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Hmm. And... Then it was just this obsession with getting the record for Christmas and, you know, having to play off my parents and who, you know, were very, you know, um, it's a very conservative house, but my mom and dad, my mom was an Elvis fan and all that stuff. So eventually they got that, you know, th th there's worse things for your kids to do than be listening to rock and roll in your bedroom, right? <laughs> um, but it was a whole process and that engulfed me. And then the next uh, group of bands that I got into and it was all about the music and you know this is a generalization but most of you guys how many of you actually own more than 20 CDs alright a couple people how many of you actually own vinyl albums a couple okay good they're on their way back right? they are on their way back mostly though you guys listen to your music how yeah it's digital and that's fine but I, I will my generation it was all about the albums and the experience of going to the record stores and the art of the albums you know mm -hmm. and, and it was just I was that kid that would buy an album and I would just absorb it I would listen to it with the headphones and read every liner note and just all that stuff and um, you know I got into the hard rock the heavy metal all that you know scary devil music which was you know well, and there's a chapter and they're talking about you know all the backward uh, masking the backward masking <laughs> and you know kiss became knights in satan's service everybody created acronyms that's right? not true i hope not <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, ACDC, Antichrist, Devil Child. Everybody's making up if these If that's acronyms. not true, then there's a whole business exactly. during the 80s. Exactly, you know, exactly. That was all created around yeah. all of that. Um, so, you know, th those parts of the book, those were fun, you know, and I knew that was what I was going to write. But then when I went through all of the uh, trials that I did in 2018, about a, about a year and a half ago, and I was like at a good point, I was like, I'm going to write this book. And I kept thinking, but I got two stories to tell. It's like, how do I tell that story, the lighthearted, fun story, but also weave in this story of this kid that evolved into this, quote, fully functioning, you know, um, successful executive, when in reality, he was a disaster. So how do you, hmm. how do you merge those together? And that's kind of, I was playing around with it, and that's kind of where... You know, the heavy mental time machine title came in. And once I had the title, I was like, okay, can I make this work? Can I start with this? And then kind of, the chapters don't, it's, it, it's not written in a way that flows, you know, A to B is straight line. Mm -hmm. I kind of mix in different chapters and I tell a story here about like my first concert experience with my mom and my aunt um, taking us to see Cheap Trick and my mom and my aunt being offered a joint. Right? I mean, that's a funny story. It's hilarious. And then in the next chapter, I'm talking about a serious thing in my career. So um, the viewer, the, the, the readers got to decide, did I do it successfully or not? But I felt like I was able to weave a story that by the end it tied together. Mm -hmm. um, so when I knew I wanted to tie them both together, I got the title and then I started working on it. And, and honestly, I wrote good portions of it in this building. Because a lot of times when you're a sub, you're like giving a lesson plan and you're like, okay, now what do I do? So um, some of you might have seen at times, you know, I had, I had a laptop with me. I was writing the book, yeah. you know. Um, I have a very dear friend of mine. I kept it very quiet. My family kind of knew I was doing something, but I, I have one friend who uh, I've known for many years. Her and I worked at the bank together, and she was the only person that I let read chapters and manuscripts because I needed somebody to say um, okay that's good or yeah I'm not feeling that one or what do you think here so I had one person that was reading it as I was doing it and um, the chapters about growing up are fun the chapters about all the stuff as an adult they were therapeutic they were very good um, you know again therapist was like this is good write your stuff write it um, I had to get to a point where I knew I had to be honest and I had to be, you know, the chapter that talks about the actual breakdown was hard to write, but I, I felt like I needed to write it as blunt as I could and mm -hmm. write it as descriptive as I could. And it was hard for some of my family to read it, you know. Um, but was, so, as a question, I mean, yeah. was your family, were they all completely aware of the things that you talked about in the book or no. were for... I mean, was they, your mom and dad, were they surprised about some of the things yeah, you revealed? Or? Yeah, um, yeah, and God bless my mom and dad, but uh, they they saw the end result. They saw their kid, you know, uh, a crumpled mess, but they didn't realize all the stuff that was going on. And, and you know, with, with them in particular, I was like, you guys have to cut yourself slack. I was really good at hiding all this. I was the master of hiding all this stuff, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so, yeah, no, there were... Um, they all read the book, and um, I've gotten good feedback. I would love to hear, like, you know, what my mom and dad talked about privately, probably, when they read their kid's book. Sure. Um, but I think it's been good for everybody. You know, my kids have read the book, and they learned some stuff about their dad, and, you know, maybe um, they understand some of the stuff. You know, one of the chapters I write about um, 
is my relationship with my kids. And there was a good part of the, from like 2010 to 2015, 2016, where um, I was always away at work. I was, I was always working. Um, I buried myself and stuff maybe to try to hide from other things. And I really got to a point where I thought I was the worst father ever. You know, I was just like, I am terrible and I'm horrible. And therapy helped us all heal that. And honestly, the best part about that was they said, Dad, you got to cut yourself some slack. Yeah, were you grumpy sometimes and moody? Yeah, but we had so many great times. So that was important, too, to write that and then get their confirmation that sure. while that was a tough time, it wasn't as bad. I learned a term in therapy. It's called catastrophizing. Yeah. And I am the king of catastrophizing, as I learned. Everybody know what catastrophizing is? <laughs> Take any scenario and you build up and you end up with the worst possible outcome. And that would become, that's just what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So I, I catastrophized my, my, my you know, ability to be a good father and all these things. But um, again, it's been, I think, good for my family. We've laughed a lot. You know, some of the stories like my mom and my aunt at the Cheap Trick concert, my dad taking my brother and I to our first Kiss concert. and. You know, stuff like the lead singer doing a, uh, an obscene chant with 10,000 kids <laughs> chanting F off, F off. And I'm standing there with my little brother and my dad going, this, my life's over, you know. <laughs> and, but my dad was cool. He's like, you know, you know, what are you going to do? So there's a lot of stuff we've laughed about and um, then stuff that, you know, was hopefully therapeutic and healing and help people understand me. Well, did, he little, did he tell you how he really felt? At the Kiss concert, as he revealed, I mean. Well, it's funny because, again, this was this was 1983. This was this was our first Kiss concert, and I wanted to go with a group of friends. And my parents were like, "You're not going with three other 17-year-old boys to a concert, right? What bad could happen, right? What could possibly go wrong?" <laughs> so the only way I could go would be if my dad and my uncle, and my little brother. Armpit. Armpit. Um, that, I gotta, I'm going to break that out again. It's been too long. Um, we, I had to go with them. And uh, so it was, It was. I mean, it was just like. To Where was see this at? Richfield Coliseum. I was going to ask if it was at Richfield yeah, Coliseum. Yeah, and that will mean nothing to you guys. Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. Richfield Coliseum. Lots of, you know, any. Uh, this is where the Cavs played, where all that stuff, and, and our concerts were at mm -hmm. the Richfield Coliseum. And uh, it was just to see your heroes, like, a lot. I mean, it was it was only my third concert at that point, and it was just an amazing night. But then suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I'm standing with my dad, and there's a chant with ten thousand teenagers chanting that. And at the end of the night, you know, my my mom's asked how the concert was, and all my dad said was it was something else. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe he didn't even understand what was going on. And at, at, at the end of the night, when I was in bed, he walked in. He goes, hey, did you have a good time? And I was like, yeah. And uh, he goes. Well, I'm glad we got to go. I love to see you have a good time. And he says, as he's walking out the door, and you don't know my dad, but this is so him. As he's walking out the door, he kind of gets a smirk on his face, and he goes, and you know what I'm really glad about? I'm really glad your mom didn't take you to that show. Because <laughs> then you would have been serious for a while. You know, yeah, that's so, awesome. So, there, again, there's a, there's a, I think there's some laughs in it. Um, there's some fun in it. And... Um, for me, it's been very therapeutic, and the feedback has been good. My my goal now is to kind of widen the audience, you know, talking to groups like you guys. I actually, a couple weeks ago, went and talked to, I have a friend who is a music teacher um, southern part of Ohio, and I went and talked at a music retreat about the book with some of her young people. Um, and I'm going to be 
reaching. I've reached out to a couple of, believe it or not, there's a bunch of KISS podcasts on the internet, a bunch of old guys like me that, <laughs> you know, want to relive their glory days. So I'm like, there's probably an audience for this. Absolutely there out. is. So, so we're going to see. And I'm at a point in my life, guys, where I'm not embarrassed by, you know, the mental health issues. I'm not afraid to talk about it. And I feel like that's something I'm supposed to be doing right now. Well, I want to go back to the, the moment when you finally hit, you know, send with your final draft. And at that moment, it's kind of real, right? I mean, you've got your rough draft and even your friend who's proofread it. But then that moment where you hit enter and that, that you're at the point of no return at that point. I mean, what, what did you feel like when you were about to shoot this final uh, final manuscript off? It was, it was, it was nerve-wracking, but it was also a sense of accomplishment, you know, that I did it. Um, you know, everybody, there's a lot of people that want to write a book, and for better or worse, I did it. So it was a good, it was a feeling of accomplishment. And, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, once I had the manuscript done, the next part is, well, then what do I do with the, what do I do with the, you know, the visual of it? So my daughter, who has artistic ability that I don't, she created my cover. And um, it'll make more sense if you read it. That's, you know, the, the, the kid with the, the, the shirt on with the, with the horns and some of the thought bubbles or things that I talk about in the book, you know, the chameleon. Um, you wanted the best, you got the best. That's the opening to every KISS concert. The announcer comes on and says, you wanted the best, you got the best, the huh. hottest band in the world, KISS. Yeah. You know, which um, to this day still gives me goosebumps. Um, so, you know, writing, when, when I hit send, it was. It was a feeling of accomplishment, but then also that little trepidation, like, oh boy, it's really real now. And it's like, you know, it's, this is my baby now. And it's like, I hope people like it. And I want you to be honest, but, you know, don't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I think it's incredible that you've taken your story and you, you know, you're demonstrating extreme vulnerability by putting it out there. It, it's got to be amazing to know that there's a book out there now that will forever be there. I mean, this is a real book and it's, it's, um, it's going to be around and your story, your legacy will live on. Uh, and now your grandkids and your great grandkids and uh, further down the line are going to have access to who you are. Uh, as a person and, and you mentioned just before you came in here that you were spending some time at home today with your grandkids yes i have twin grandsons that are four months old next week so I twin grandsons yeah, owen and cameron and it's still cool to look at my son who you know when i couldn't figure out what to bond with him just like mr swindell upstairs when i couldn't figure out how to bond with my dorky little brother it was music and when i had a son that wasn't into sports or anything like that, and it ended up being music. You know, I was like, who knew he was going to get into Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and these bands that yeah, I love. Really? And that's what we bought on it. We would go to concerts, and it was cool. And now I look at him, and he's a dad. You know, it's really crazy to think. You know, he's he's a dad. Not only a dad, but dad to twins. You know, and I kind of think about you know how hopefully he'll pass that love of music on. Have the twins? Do they have like? kiss onesies yet or not i have them in my amazon saved because <laughs> i can't they're too little yet for them but there's like a six month yeah there's there's kiss onesies coming soon um so yes that's awesome when you go back to high school and you think about your experience at field high school um and you know you're sitting in front of a bunch of high school students what advice do you wish you would have been given when you were sitting where these kids are at i think the biggest thing would be if you don't have it all figured out right now, that's okay. You know, your kids. I know, you're young adults. Your kids. 
you know, don't feel like you got to have it all figured out. Some of you probably do. Some of you know exactly what you want to do, probably. And if we catch up with you in 20, 25 years, you'll be doing that. Others of you, whether you're seniors or juniors, you may have no idea what you want to do yet. I fell into that trap of feeling like I had to have it all figured out. And that's why I'm going to, I like writing. I guess I'll be a journalism major, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that would be the biggest thing is don't feel like you have to have your whole life mapped out in front of you at 16, 17, 18 years old, you know. It took me to my 50s to kind of sort of figure it out. I'm not saying I got it totally figured out, but, you know, I think that's that's the biggest thing is just relax. Be kids, you know. Be kids. The adulting piece will be here soon enough. What about What about some of our older members of our audience who might be, dealing with some of the issues on the inside that you're dealing with and and whether it be mental illness or whether it be okay I'm not pursuing what I'm passionate I mean what advice do you have for our older audience well I I would say from the mental health piece guys if you're not feeling good all the time it's not something where you know I'll suck it up you know it's not that's not it If, if you're go talk to somebody and I'm talking professional I'm talking you know and that's great friends family they're all good but at a certain point Sometimes you need to have somebody that's purely objective and purely trained to ask the right questions and be that listener that, you know, I, when I found the right therapist and, you know, we're still in touch to this day, even though I don't regularly go, that was a life changer for me. That was the person that could ask the right questions. And that was the person that could challenge me on some of my catastrophizing and some of those things. Hmm. Um, But you got to talk about it. just you know the the more you internalize is just the further and further you you know you put it down it'll eventually get you you mm-hmm. know it took me into my 50s to finally bottom out and I wouldn't wish that on anybody mm-hmm. you know I, and and I wouldn't wish it on your families either you know that was scary for my family they're like you know suddenly you know dad's the rock dad's the guy that just goes 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 until you know what he was in the floor Mm. So I wouldn't want anybody. And then as far as um, uh, the, what was the second part of that? The career, if you're not the, the, yeah. involved in something you're passionate about. You know, you got to then really try to, even if you don't figure out what it is you are going to be passionate about, stop the train before it's totally off the tracks, you know. Um, it's okay to say, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. Even if last month you thought it was. You know, sometimes things change. And, you know, um, when, when I was graduating out of high school, you know, it was this, that, well, to be successful, you got to go to college. You know, that was just kind of, that was kind of the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, you know, I'm glad I went to college. I have a degree. As I told you, I've never worked a day with that in my title. I'm glad I have it. But that's not for everybody. You know, you can be happy in a trade. You can be happy whatever it is. You know, I will tell you that there were parts in my career where I made a lot of money. And when I look back at that window of years, I was so unhappy. Hmm. I really was. Now, did it allow my wife and I, who also worked very hard, by the way, it's a package deal, we put our kids through college. We were able to have a home and all these things. So that's wonderful. But as far as having a peace and happiness, no, I I was just, as I look back, I was not happy. And I've been taught in therapy not to look to the past too much. But there's times when I'm in a classroom and I'm like, this is what I should have done. Hmm. But you know what? I didn't. And I'm here now. So I guess I'm supposed to be here now. So, What a fantastic story. Let me ask you this. 
if somebody would like to get a copy of your book, how do we find it? Amazon. It is on Amazon. Type in Heavy Mental Time Machine or Jeff Swindell. It's in there. We'll definitely put a, a link in the, the show notes for sure and push it out there. Uh, it is an incredible story. One of the things that I liked so much about it, especially having grown up uh, in a similar, you know, similar time, just the amount of effort you got to put into to find music and to record the right kind of music. Yes. I mean, we, I clicked on so many cylinders with this book. I absolutely loved it. But what really touched me the most was your vulnerability Thank and you. your willingness to share your story. And I'm thankful that you've shared your story with our listeners as well. So thank you for spending your afternoon with us because we are in a with a live audience. I'm going to let them show their appreciation to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Between Two Blue Devils. Please be sure to share this story out. Mr. Swindell, Mr. Jeff Swindell's story needs to be shared. And he is just another wonderful member of our community here at Tommage City Schools. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Horner the Teacher or on Twitter at THS Mr. Underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.